Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Mm. <laughs> and we're here to talk mm. news and politics. We're back after a bit of a, a, bit of a break. Um, I... We were going to do something about Brexit and then I, I rewrote mm. what I was going to write about three times mm. because I just can't keep up. And this has been true all the way through, but especially for the last like two, three weeks when everybody stopped paying attention to the TIGs and started paying attention to Brexit again. Oh. <laughs> you messaged me last week and you said, I just can't do it. I need to not. Not like have an enforced Twitter break, enforced like LBC break, which to be honest should be permanent. But yeah, it should be permanent. Um, oh, but you just can't stop because you know you take a you, you want to take a break from LBC, and then and then Ian Dale comes on. And you're like, oh god, I've got to listen to this. It's it, it's just it angers up the blood so good. It keeps it keeps me young. <laughs> Or it's going it to keep your, your cardiovascular system very, very old. I don't need to jog. <laughs> My heart pumps at a rate like I'm sprinting twenty four seven. The doc that, that that must be healthy. It's fine. Yeah, they say that a high heart rate. Yeah, high heart rate is a predictor of age. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a heart a resting heart rate of one hundred and forty, you will live to one hundred and forty years old. A brain cramp a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> at some point, we're going to have to explain to our children. Uh, what did you do? What was it like? What was it like back then? It's like, well, every evening we raced home to uh, watch Theresa May, who was the Prime Minister then. You remember her, don't you? Uh, in front you of... Her. her skeleton is on display at the White House of Dover. <laughs> As a warning to others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we used to race home and we'd watch this, this, this lady. Uh, she was the Prime Minister and we'd watch her in front of number 10. You remember that? when Before before they moved the Parliament to the middle of the ocean? Uh, <laughs> before they moved it to the Isle of Man to keep it safe from raiders. <laughs> the rump. <laughs> um, and yeah, you used to watch her and she'd say, she'd say the words. And you know like in school when, you know, they do the Article 50 extension ritual every morning. <laughs> you know, it used to be a Christian, was it a Christian themed assembly. Now it's... Uh, Article 50 extension. You do that every morning. <laughs> this has become a devotional thing where you stave off Article 50 for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, badness will happen. The four Brexit lords bring their swords in, bring their rings, and they put it all in the centre, and they stave off Brexit for another... <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Oh, I just hate it. I, I, don't like, I don't like the whole, like... I don't like the whole, like, how exhausted it makes everybody because, mm. like... It is still quite important, and mm-hmm. it does seem to take the place of normal politics, but it, that, that's what we've got. But the whole process seems designed to just exhaust people. Yeah. the um, It's amazing some of the little things that they've managed to push through. Mm. Um, like, like, it's going to be called... It's the porn ban, but it's, I not, keep just a por- it's not just a porn ban. It's, it's, it's an experiment. Yeah. In how easy is it going to be to ban things? You know how, like, yeah, you've got the Great Wall of... Uh, yeah, the, the Firewall. Great, the Great Firewall of China. It's like the yeah. Great Firewall of the White Cliffs of Dover. I don't know. That's our, that's our symbol for exclusion, isn't it? The White yeah. Cliffs. Yeah. yeah. That's like our, our World War II nostalgia-fueled symbol yeah. for and separateness. I'm lo- oh, see, that's the thing. If Brexit wasn't happening and it, it was, everything, was, everything was focusing on this, we would have literal posters with... Evil German porn planes being <laughs> fought back by noble British anti-porn planes. 
The return of the French postcard. <laughs> the return, the good old days when you, you know, we come from uh, Medway. There's a lot of World War II pillboxes there. Mm-hmm. When you were used to go, stumble into a pillbox when you were a kid and find stacks and stacks of porn. Yep, a lot of porn. A lot of porn, a lot of broken glass. Yeah. Fans of the danger wank in Medway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's like, it's a weird one because, like, I don't really, well, actually, I really didn't give a toss about a porn block until, like, you take two seconds to think about, well, no, if they can block that much stuff, that's a big deal. But also, when I changed my um, service provider recently, hmm. there was an automatic um, adult block on it, yeah, which um, I had to take off because it blocked a lot of my favourite wrestling. <laughs> because it decided that it was obviously porn. Because, to be fair, <laughs> I watch a lot of semi-naked men grappling. Um, and I also watch wrestling. But... Hey! Um, but yes, yeah, so I like... it's. If, oh, you've seen, if you've seen the Federation of Intimate Clinch Wrestling, <laughs> as I have... That's what ICW stands for, isn't it? <laughs> Intimate, <laughs> Intimate Clinch Wrestling. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> You'd see that there's an art to it. It's It's art, really. It is art. It is like, oh, is that, oh, there was that Seth Rollins wrestling, that wrestling promotion Seth Rollins wrestled in for a while where it was um, just men in very tight white pants that were very see-through. That's wrestling. Yeah. No, <laughs> but no, these, these were like, you could see oh, right. everything. <laughs> I shouldn't say it was such gusto, but yeah, you could. It was just porn. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's it, that unnerves me because, you know, it just makes me upset that that kind of block is a thing. That's a big thing. Yeah. That's a big deal that should be talked about. But no, we won't talk about that. We'll talk about um, how Brexit is just a mess. How did you know that Labour Party have no ideas of what to do? Well, they do. They've got some ideas and the EU says those ideas are pretty good. No, the Labour Party have no ideas. It's all the <laughs> Labour Party's fault. This isn't the culmination of what? Like a million years of Tory racism writ large. <laughs> Tory racism and incompetence. <clears throat> A Tory, a generalised Tory, well, conservative, mm. hegemony over the country that kind of started in the early 80s, maybe late mm. 70s, and has continued on for a multitude of reasons to, to vary to go into. Mm. But it it's incredible how selective the blame for things has been. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's see. Um, so, so... Brexit can be blamed on kind of working class racists. Yeah, um, that's what they blame. The negotiation on. can be blamed on, I guess, Theresa May. Or Ollie um, Robbins, the <clears throat> faceless bureaucrat. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's just strange how... And they, they have also approached all of these things in kind of very separate ways. So like the Northern Irish border mm. is kind of when they're apportioning blame, they're still apportioning it in the same way they apportioned blame to the Northern Ireland conflict, Mm -hmm. which was to forces on the ground and not to political forces. Yeah. Oh, it's... That's the other thing that's happened since we haven't been on... There's like... Yeah, we'll talk about Brexit. We'll we'll finish talking about Brexit first before we'll talk about why I had to stop. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's... Okay, so... As far as I can see the process at the moment, there's three different areas that are the main wielders of influence and the Mm. main kind of blockers the first one is Theresa May personally Mm. and whoever I I have no idea who she has around her I have no idea who her like inner circle is considered to be I like people like Rory Stewart the one that looks like a little rat oh yeah yeah Um, and then there's the other one that looks like a little mouse ah okay 
who lost his seat, and Gavin Barwell. Is there a, is there a vol in um, this Red Wall cabinet? Um, no, oh, actually, no. It can't be a Red Wall cabinet because those those were all heroes. The rats are villains. Mice are heroes. Yeah, rats and foxes were the were the villains. Yeah, but no. Um, she's got a lot of very verminy looking yeah. people. Um, but yeah, they're, it's like it's that weird thing at the moment. You see the kind of Tories that get to be on all the programs, and it's like with the Tigs. The Tigs weren't the best and brightest. They were the ones that turned up, mm. and that's all that she's got as well. Like she doesn't even have the ones that can competently lie. Yeah, she can't. She has like the worst ones. Well, I mean, like that's so her her role personally so far has been as the figurehead. The, the mm. Brexit secretary thing that's a, a, a red herring because I think maybe they allowed David Davis some leeway, but as soon as he had gone, which I remind you was like September last year, yeah. it was barely a few months ago. Yeah, um, and. I think that Richard Seymour wrote a really good um, article on his Patreon about um, about this. She's just present. She's just fainted, as in as mm. in mo- like went one way and moved another. Mm. It's kind of the end of a long process of political leaders doing that. Because I mean, that was what kind of what Blair was famous mm. for. He would talk a big game, and then he would do something that was technically fulfilling what he had said, yeah. but didn't actually fulfil the spirit of what he mm. had said. Um. And the difference is, Blair kind of knew who his targets were. His targets were kind of the left of his party, which he had kind of got under under control by that point. Mm. And it was the Conservatives, mm. for what it's worth. Um, Theresa May, so she started off by trying to faint... I mean, was it the EU first, or was it her own party... I guess I guess like Labour were nowhere, so none of this, none of her early kind of Brexit manoeuvres were directed against them because mm. it was considered that because she had a majority, they would not be in the picture. Mm. So she tries to kind of faint the EU. She mm. presented there's that uh, front page has gone around a lot this week of oh, the crush the EU and yeah. she's a, amazing manoeuvres to she threatens to leave with no deal and then all the companies will come flocking yeah. because they definitely definitely would. Yeah. Um, so she tried that on the kind of papers. She got the papers on her side and she tried that with the EU. And they kind of took it very slow. There was, She was trying to keep as information restricted as much as possible. Then she tried to do it to kind of Corbyn mm-hmm. a number of times, mainly of which calling the election. Mm-hmm. Um, she's then, as she's got more desperate, has tried to faint the British public and then her own party mm. by saying, I'm definitely, definitely not going to call... Like, for instance, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not going to call an election. Oh, yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. Uh, I definitely am going to put this to a meaningful vote. Oh no, I'm not. Oh, actually, I will have to because yeah. I, you voted that way. You know, I'm I'm not going to take no deal off the table. Okay, I'll take no deal off the table. Mm. Like it's been over and over again to the point where well, she's, she's still saying that no deal is still on the table. Yeah, yeah, because well, she did that she's, straight away because she's yeah. oh, she's such a because she's now well she's now divided her party to the point where she's still trying the same tactic against different factions within her mm. own party, mm. like. I would say like the second bit of uh, kind of consequential Brexit, the, the consequential Brexit group is the hard right of her party, the Brexiteers, mm. the ERG, although it's bigger than the ERG. Mm. Oh, God, significant. Um, like Macon probably could probably have done a deal if her party was kind of mainly soft Brexiters. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's had to constantly manoeuvre and kind of take into consideration the the hard right well, there's a, and their desire to have this Brexit and again she that she's tried to faint them by saying this will be a proper patriotic free market hard well, Brexit the thing that, except it's not the thing that 
like a lot of liberal commentators have found really hard to identify of like mm. why she does certain things. Like I saw Jimmy Bollocks is one of them. Um, O'Brien is another one. Um, one like her main f- driving force and like uh, like all of us say it for ages that Theresa May's a racist. She's been a racist all her life. She was a racist, disgusting Home Secretary. She's a racist Prime Minister. Mm. Then Anna Subri says, Do "You know what? I think she's a bit racist," <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Um, like. If there was just the racists in the Tory party, if they were up, if they were happy with just the racist Brexit, which is what what you know the, because she wants the controls on immigration, and they're kind of willing to give her that, um, because I think the EU would quite like that because it gives them more manoeuvring to start clamping down on freedom of movement and in they, a way that they'd like. They also but, had already given that to yeah, the UK yeah. because the UK was obviously yeah, going to be they'd the like, most. Uh, it's obvious at the moment they want to start making big speeches about being more controlling on immigration with these camps in fucking Libya. You know, they're being more hardline. They're going to start doing it internally, you're saying? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think, I can, see I think they're going to start, well, at least talking a big game yeah. about it. But um, the problem is with the Tory party is you've got the ones who are just racist and just like the idea of just stopping people from moving about the place. Yeah. But you've also got a load of them who are just utterly convinced that they're the best businessmen ever because their dad gave them a job. And the dad who gave them a job was given a job by their grandfather, and their grandfather was given a job by their great grandfather. It just goes back and back and back until it turns out that they went with Cromwell to burn a field. <laughs> and but they think that they're businessmen. Yeah. And you're never going to be able to negotiate with these people mm. about how it it's works. the Trump phenomenon. It's yeah. you were cushioned by a massive amount of money, yeah. and you managed to somehow lose money on real estate. In the seventies through to the nineties to the two thousands, like you're not a fucking genius. Yeah, um, like it does. There is there, there is a certain like dogmatism to the way that Theresa May has been acting, which is which is weird because I wouldn't. It's not that she's not dogmatically us and them. We've talked about kind of what we can divine of her character because I still don't feel like I know who the fuck she is. I think I know who Blair is. Mm. I think I know who Corbyn is. Like, you you know, you get feeling mm. and you can judge them by the way that they talk. And and with May, there is absolutely nothing there down to her giving speech, like typed up speeches mm. in public, mm-hmm. in, in private, in private cabinets, stuff yeah. like that. But like, there is a certain like... like She's almost like the last true believer. Because, like, this whole brinksmanship, this whole, mm. like, stalling until there's no choice be- and, and, uh, between her deal and no deal, like, that has a, an echo in neoliberalism. You know, that mm. idea that, like, uh, pressure and heat mm. makes diamonds. Yeah. Like, they do believe that actually, like, trying times make a character. That yeah. old kind of Churchillian kind of thing. Because um, she could have... If she was actually serious about make it, like preparing people for no deal she wouldn't just be giving away like i think it was that stronger towns fund that she oh, announced God, a couple of weeks ago it's like it was 1.6 billion over like six years or seven Split years Split, that's oh that's it the yeah. 1.6 billion that was it and it just shows this really dogmatic um acceptance of tory austerity logic mm. you know that the whole thing was it wasn't just about money it wasn't just about amounts of money what they would do is they would withdraw the money that allowed structures to exist in like, lo- like yeah. local conven- like local institutions mm. to exist they would let those structures collapse and then it didn't matter how money you mm. how much money you gave back mm. but she couldn't even kind of get that one because she could have she could have bribed him mm. it's the british state <laughs> everyone was talking about bribing MPs and bribing those towns. She could have done that 10 times over. Mm. But for her, 
that makes it look like she's basically becoming a, a social democrat. Yeah. And that is a way that they could have prepared for no deal and actually could have taken the fight to the EU. If the EU doesn't want no deal, which they, they say they don't, but I, I actually don't know. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But if they really don't want no, no deal and she's threatening them with no deal, the way to do it is to prepare for no deal mm. by properly making sure your country doesn't suffer. You know? Yeah, but the only way to, like we've talked about before, the but, only way to do a no deal would be... Would be like if I was to leave the EU. Yeah. I wouldn't leave the EU in a week for a start. Yeah. I would leave the EU in maybe five years. Yeah. After doing nothing but preparing to leave the EU yeah. in five. If you like, if you're going to do it. Well, that's the weird thing about the extension thing. Like that's what happened today. Mm. Um, there were various noises from the EU that they wouldn't. Uh, Donald Tusk published a, a letter saying that uh, they wouldn't accept a short extension without it signing a off. He just said it. Uh, was it a speech? Yeah, he just yeah, gave so a speech. I'll be a short speech I, and I will not be taking questions. <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> just like the EU. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah exactly. But like, you know, saying that they wouldn't have a short extension without agreeing to a withdrawal agreement, yeah. which seems mad to me because mm. it's a, you're you're just allowing Theresa May to continue with her particular yeah, gambit. Yeah. Um, but I got quite angry at that f- at first, but then I read it again and it's a lot of people were saying, well, he didn't say you couldn't have a long extension. Mm. So maybe that's what they're doing. But like, in any case, like the thing that, the thing that I was thinking of and the thing that I've been thinking of for weeks is how much do the hard right of the Brexit, of the Tory party, which are guiding Brexit policy and have mm-hmm. May over a barrel as to their red, her red lines are their red lines. They're there because they want them and they will occupies if mm. they don't get them. Um, how much are they prepared for, no deal being some kind of disaster capitalist bonanza mm-hmm. where they can privatize everything mm-hmm. and get away with it. Yeah, and like, yeah. And I actually, I thought at first in this process, early on in this process, I thought that was quite likely because it's like, well, neoliberal is going to neolib. Mm-hmm. But as I've gone along, I've realized kind of, they've been very quiet. Like the, the top ones are like Sam Gimia, um, uh, Priti Patel, mm. um, who else? Uh, there's a there's a couple of others. They're the ones that come to mind. The basically the Britannia Unchained crowd. Yeah. The uh, British workers are the um, laziest quasi in the world. Quasi Quateng. Quasi Quateng. That's a yeah. That's um, another guy. Um, there's a lot of them. And I think as it's gone along, you haven't seen a lot of them. You haven't even really seen a lot of Boris. He's always there, but he hasn't been anywhere near as. Well, it's probably he had that haircut now he can't bear to be seen. <laughs> Considering that he's supposed to be like the Brexit, like the Brexiters' favourite for the yeah, next Tory leader, the Brexit king in waiting. He has really kept a low profile. And as I've gone along, I've th- thought that actually the low profile, of course mm. they're hedging their bets. They don't want to be seen to, to be associated with something that is going to be really disastrous. Mm. But then it's like, well, if no deal was going to be disa- disastrous and they were going to come in and be able to liberalise the economy and pick up the pieces, wouldn't they be moving more strongly? Wouldn't they be being more more forthright? And it did occur to me that they don't have the intellectual or the political resources mm. to undertake that kind of thing. They don't have the billionaire backing that you say you see in the United States, mm. where they have a network of billionaires whose sole goal is to, you know, rule the poor like a king. Mm. Sorry, I just got this idea <laughs> of um, of Tim Wo- Tim Weatherspoon's just buying the NHS. <laughs> yeah, well, that that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, he's. He's probably not welcome rich. To, welcome he's probably to, not rich. I know, right? but no, when, at a discount price, well, also, he could buy a trust. Well, also, it's like this. Welcome to this with this oncology ward. This week's beer is <laughs> Ruddles. 
You've turned to the good day to come into the cancer ward. It's curry night. <laughs> Prenatal care sponsored by Strongbow. <laughs> um, and it occurred to me that, of course, like the the contradictory thing is that a load of, if you like, national capitalists, mm. national billionaires, actually, the national billionaires are kind of split mm. on Brexit. You know, mm. you've got the Pimlico Plumbers guy, who's it's a very prominent... Idiot. He's a prominent remainder. He's rich, though. He's he's one well, no, of the richest. You have to be rich to get away with that hair. Uh, well, yeah, obviously. Um, either very rich or very very poor. Yeah. To get away with like yeah, that's that's it's big hair. Yeah, yeah. Like big mood hair. Yeah, it's um, either the hair of someone who owns Pimlico Plumbers or one of the people who are unfortunate enough to have to work for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it occurred to me that, of course, yeah, the the that the natural supporting class for a liberal like a liberalization blitz they're split they can't rely on it so they don't have the resources to do that Mm. but then tusk talking about this stuff today it did occur to me that in the case of a no deal brexit um if there was some kind of wto rules the irony is that a lot of british industry and and kind of services and things like that would be up for sale in Mm. that kind of privatization blitz and who would be there to pick it up Mm. it would be german owners Mm -hmm. because i mean yeah, the Chinese and the Gulf and the uh, like Russian money has a mm. lot of input into into the UK. They mm. own a lot of stuff, but that I could see that the EU not being that bothered about potentially privatizing the NHS and picking up the pieces. Yeah, and it was a it was a very weird weird moment because it's it's just it that that impetus isn't coming from the ERG, which is maybe why they seem so kind of lackluster even though they're controlling by proxy the whole process yeah you know yeah it's weird the other thing is the absolute kind of like waning of the british state Hmm. now this is not in terms of obviously police military all that kind of stuff that stuff exists Hmm. but it's it's hollowed out i guess is is what you Hmm. can say like there are a lot of people going uh, blaming the political class Hmm. for this kind of thing and blaming parliament and yeah, of course, they're the ones there making the decisions, but they're making the decisions in a framework that has existed for two hundred years. You know, you you look at like Thatcher hammered the civil service, yeah. which had a control over a lot of policy. They weren't allowed to like be attached to policy to implementing mm. policy after Thatcher. Um, Blair kind of gutted the party system. The Conservatives copied mm. him, so that they all became very neutral. They all became very PR focused. Yeah. They were far far less independent. Mm. And then you see kind of uh, all of that overlaid over a very, very centralised system, centralised in the PM's office Mm. with the power to do virtually anything they want as long as you've got a majority government. And then you're looking at a hung parliament in this kind of case and you're wondering... Yeah, and you're wondering... You're wondering... Well, no, Cameron's second wasn't. That was, no, that's that, a good point. But he didn't yeah. have a huge it's a majority. Slight majority, though. He didn't have a huge majority. we haven't had a clear majority in a long time. Yeah, not a, not a, not a landslide. Certainly, yeah. um, you look at it and you say, well, yeah, it, they're working within the parameters that they were set because all of this stuff, because of the empire and because of the need to take decisions out of the hand of like democrat, the, mm. the electorate, basically, yeah. you had you had to have this centralization and this like this keeping everything very secret and behind doors and you can see it in the early stage of the Brexit process mm. that that's what they did and you can see it now mm. 
of course, because it's hollowed out, because the centre doesn't have that kind of large amount of power, mm. doesn't have that large amount of support that it can draw upon, it's all fallen away. Mm. The, 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 the system still exists, but all of the pillars of, of influence and power that have kept it kind of being able to function have been atrophied over time. Mm. It's why the AV vote losing was, I think, is probably going to be seen as far more significant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything that happened has after, been. everything that happened afterwards is, is is directly because of that. Like mm. we would have had everything would have been different. Actually, we wouldn't have had Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party. I, I think, think that's yeah. I think that's reasonably likely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the background of all this, you've got the EU acting like the EU, which mm. I think we've said before has been. I think it's been tragically underplayed. I mean, there's the obvious one with the FUBPs going, live, love, work. Yeah. In 27 other countries yeah. um, doing their PR for them. But there has been, there just hasn't, there hasn't been a proper analysis of EU policy, mm. of EU decision making, and of how they've acted in crises like this. I mean, the yeah. obvious one to point towards is Greece, but you yeah. can point it towards the migration crisis. Mm -hmm. You can point it towards um, uh, how they dealt with the Italian budget. Mm. And you can look at it as how they've dealt with, with this. Mm. And I think, you know, we are still all wrapped up with ourselves and part of the problem here is that we, is that the British generally have a cultural idea that they, sh they should be esteemed more than they are. Oh yeah, 100%. They have a hugely high opinion of themselves and it's, it's done them in not only because they seem arrogant but because they don't focus on the things that are important. Mm. And the EU is one half of this. Mm -hmm. And its role and what it's done has been just just hugely misunderstood mm -hmm. and underplayed in the last two years. Well, it's, um, it's a recurring thing. It's going to be weird if because if if everything gets extended for a long time, yeah. If we don't have a no deal mm. and it gets all extended, and we have to have a European elections, mm -hmm. this would be the first European election that in my lifetime, and maybe even the first European election ever, mm. where Remainers would give a toss. Yeah. Um, which would make it quite interesting. I could see them putting in that it wouldn't be the usual because it's mo it's usually UKIP and the Conservatives who they put in. Exactly, but um, you know, I could see um, Remainers actually caring and yeah. bothering to vote because that's yeah. what doesn't happen. That's why UKIP historically do well yeah. and all that kind of shit. They walk it because it's a thirty percent turnout. Yeah, but um, it's a weird one because the EU's biggest fans never talk about what the EU is. They just talk about it being this nebulous cool club well the weird thing is I've got a, I've got a bellwether on Facebook yeah um, there's somebody who I worked with for a very small amount of time mm. um, I'd say she's in her late 30s and like is a proper kind of culture like culture war remainer <laughs> you know the Avi yeah. the bollocks to Brexit in Latin oh the um, I mean like posting four times a day on every news story going oh. what is it what are we doing let's oh. just remain and oh. it's like well okay but you're not really convincing me here because yeah. you seem terrible but I have that 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 bellwether and it's they do explain the EU hmm. but they don't Actually, they do the prime, like the secondary school mm -hmm. explanation of it, which is BC, the EU Parliament reports to the European Council, yeah, and then they make the decision. And it's, and it's like, well, no. If you actually look at how something goes through, the European Council decides, or the European Commission decides on policy. Mm -hmm. um, the European Parliament gets a wave through vote, mm. and then that's it. It's yeah. 
the EU Parliament is incredibly undemocratic. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's, well, it's just that recurring thing that liberals talking about things and they never talk about power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except for the like maybe the incredible reach and power of Russian bot farms. Yeah. Like, for example, did you know that it's possible for Russians, Russians to convince the Italians of all people to vote for a fascist? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. That, that nugget came from... Um, the Chinese intelligence service's favourite investigative journalist, Carol Cadwallader. <laughs> oh, so, you know, maybe if we'd spent less time fucking talking about Russia today mm. and, you know, yeah, the, the malign influence of, um, uh, of, of Russia, this kind of boogeyman mm. on the outside, maybe we could see some more of the boogeymen that are actually on the no. inside. No. It's, it's, it's just it's gross. Russia. But it's, um, yeah, um, there was one more thing. How likely do you think it is, given the state that the Tory government is in, mm. and that they are really very seriously staring down the barrel of a no deal, mm-hmm. how likely do you think that she calls some kind of state of emergency? Considering all the talk about army on the streets to deal with knife crime, oh. I don't think it's as unlikely as it was. And I don't think there'd be as much objection to it. Oh. Looking over... Uh, the the tweets from 2011 yeah where during the riots yeah no but she'd be calling in the army to deal with the remainder march on the weekend <laughs> and it'll be like and the people that should be calling the um the army in on are all the people who were calling for the army in 2011 which is kind of the problem with remainers because they were the ones that said that all the rioters should be shot i'm going to say that the remain march is not the thing <laughs> is not that no it's probably going to have a load but it's is not the thing she would call in the army for. No. I think maybe, you know, l- like large groups of men stealing bags of rice from a <laughs> Tesco, I think that's the kind of scene that she would decide state of exception, mm. oh, uh, God, that's martial depressing. law. That's depressing. It is depressing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's why we didn't podcast for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, yeah, so, yeah, so like we haven't been on for like, yeah, three weeks. And it has just been grueling. Mm. And it is hard in the now. And it's like, I've been thinking a lot about why we started doing the podcast and stuff. Yeah. And like, there's a thing like, um, like my wife, she um, writes for telly and whenever she's like, she teaches as well. But like, why she, she asks, why do you write? Mm. And she always says, because she wants to write something that makes someone say, me too. Mm-hmm. Like not in a hashtag uh, me too way. Oh, <laughs> not a hashtag me too way, but in a not making people scandal not... blows apart. We don't talk about the weather. <laughs> making people not feel alone. Yeah, to make people feel like they're that they're not all on their own. And that is a recurring thing. That's like one of the reasons why I wanted to podcast because um, it's grueling to be a sort of unaligned lefty. Yeah. yeah, in all of this, and you just get sort of swam along, and you can kind of see why people go cranky. Definitely, and like yeah. they're searching the for is the wrong word. I know, okay. I get what you mean. They're yeah, searching I, for some kind of rock of of, of surety. Yeah, they um, just cling to it. Yeah, and it, it's it is hard, and it's like it's been really rough the last couple of weeks. Like there's so much stuff, like there's the anti-Semitism stuff, which just keeps on going. Having to deal with listening to Nick Ferrari and Rachel Riley talk on LBC about anti-Semitism the day after Christchurch. Yeah. And that was that's like his going into mm. talking about aggression in political sphere and stuff like that leading oh, to violence. Oh, fuck off. Um, having to listen to people talk about Ian Austin as a principled anti-racist 
who describe you know that thing of describing um, Jeremy Corbyn with his North is North London Islington ideas about immigration. It's like, <laughs> ooh, what does that dog whistle mean? <laughs> I mean, it, that's like that's kind of the same thing as saying your New York sense of humour. Yeah, no, North London intellectual is a dog whistle anti-Semitic yes. trope. It's literally what Ian Austin said about Ed Miliband. Yes. When he was being... <laughs> but, you know, having to deal with that, having to deal with them today saying, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe they are booting us off of these from these Labour positions because we left the Labour Party. Oh, yeah, my, Mike Gapes and, and Ian Austin got yeah. booted off the Foreign Affairs and, Committee, um, yeah. And Labour looking to replace Luciana Berger. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they'd do this to me. I've, like, I'm, I've just had my baby and all this. And, like, oh. the people saying, like, oh, this is illegal because she's on maternity leave. It's like, she isn't. She left. She left the party. I mean, she's also an MP. Yeah, she left the party. She's I, not on maternity leave. I don't think so. Well, anyway, she left the she party. She probably is. She doesn't get to be the Labour person. Yeah. On these things. But yeah, but that, but the way the media does, the way they talk about it, yeah. seeing um, Emily Maitlis roll her eyes at people. Yeah, that, that was a big stuff, one. All of yeah. those things. They just all just conspire to just make you just feel pushed down and like there's literally nothing you can possibly do which then leads to other things like you i'm like in in like away from internet and everything just snappier yeah and well i am i get down and depressed and snappy and bitchy and it's just you just don't like who you are so you just go off twitter to try and stay away from it but then you turn on the tv or you see Newsnight, and you just want to just yeah but here's the thing it's important to talk about that mm. because everyone is feeling like it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's grim and horrible. But if we don't carry on talking to each other, we end up like who we're going to be talking about in a bit. Okay. So, there is a group. Well, there isn't a group anymore. Actually, they do exist, sort of ish. There are still There's some. There's one in Uruguay. There's some still across, yeah. across the world. There's some still here. <laughs> um, Posadists. Oh. Um, and the truth behind the meme. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing is, we're going to talk about them for a bit. We're going to explain a little bit about where they come from, what they believe, why they believe it, <laughs> and what happened to them. Were they taken away by aliens? Did they all kill themselves when Haley's Comet came nearby? <laughs> Maybe something along those lines. But... Um, yeah, um, if um, if people like it, we might do more stuff on these kind of groups because, like, I don't like doing things because we were talking about ages ago about doing stuff on like weird fringe left groups. Yeah, but we don't really like punching at our comrades, really. But the Posadists don't really exist anymore, and there's a lot that don't really exist anymore. Like, we could do a thing about the. I don't Spartans. think we have to punch at them either. No, also, yeah, there's like there's a, I've got a lot of warmth for Posadists up to a point. Yeah. Nuclear yeah. warmth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't hug the world with nuclear arms. <laughs> But, um, you know, like Spartacists, you know, that's, that's one we yeah. can do. Um, every time I see them, it makes my heart sing a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they call me a fascist <laughs> for wearing trousers. <laughs> um, or whatever is fascist, of, what's the fascist of the week? <laughs> but, um, okay, Posadists. So, trots, mm-hmm. um, they were birthed out of a split, of a split. <laughs> so, like, the Fourth International. Yes. Which... Like, I'm not sure if it's true. It probably isn't true. But I choose that it's true because it's really entertaining. Of one of, like, the some of the founding groups of the Fourth International made vows to a death mask of Trotsky. <laughs> oh, I've heard that rumour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I choose that it's true. 
<laughs> because it's too good. Because it just gives a little bit of <clears throat> ra- a razzmatazz, a little bit of magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be too good for it not to be yeah. true. But um, they were quite a weird one. But so um, there's a guy, was a guy, um, Juan Posadas, not mm-hmm. his real name. I would try and read out his actual name, but it's, it's a lot. Show um, me it. Homero Romulo Cristalli Fresnelli. Okay. Argentine Trotskyite, child of Italian immigrants. Okay. Um, he was a cobbler mm-hmm. and a trade unionist. Ran for election, failed. Was involved, um, but they he the Posadists were involved in the Cuban Revolution, mm-hmm. and they came into conflict very quickly with with um, Castro. Mm-hmm. Because of a couple of things. Who at that Once, point, Castro was not what you would call in any way a doctrinaire socialist. He was no. far more. He was a bit more on the Ho Chi Minh level of. He was more of a nationalist, wasn't he? Yeah. Um. You or you could say what Posada said, which was he was a petty bourgeois. <laughs> um, and wasn't he a, like one he a of doctor the re- or a teacher, Castro? I, I think it was. Yeah. I think um Guevara was a doctor. Yeah, Guevara was a doctor, but I, I think, think was Castro a was a, like a teacher, a lawyer, yeah, something like that. But um. Um, there's a lot of like it's up in the air whether it was a decision by the Posadists to do this properly or whether it was a mis- miscommunication. But um, try to attack Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> the American get, Air Base. Yep, uh, the to sea, try, the naval yeah, base to try and get rid of them. Hey, um, can't fault them. And then finally, <laughs> properly split from um, everything and went <laughs> off and did their own thing and took all the trots out of Cuba because they took mm-hmm. the Cuban Trotskyites with them. Yeah. Um, after the death of Guevara. And they thought that maybe Castro had something to do with it. And like oh, it was, it was they didn't trust any of the truth, anything that came out about what happened with Che Guevara. It would be quite a turnabout because wasn't Che Guevara killed by um? It was a a, a group of mercenaries headed by Klaus Barbie. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> Klaus Barbie, yeah. the the Nazi yeah. who escaped to South America. Yeah, I think it was something like that. But um, yeah. So then Posad he goes off Posadas. Mm-hmm. Um, he start he does. There's like a lot of things that he does. He's like a lot of adorable quirks. Mm-hmm. Um, ending every meeting or every article with long live Posadas hell yes but he said that <laughs> <laughs> um, this did you, do you reckon he shouted it or did he just say oh, long live Posadas I think he's I think he properly shouted it and <laughs> pro- probably did a weird salute um, but it's, it's important to note that this man is quite paranoid he was quite paranoid for like most of his life sure sure um, but okay so one of the first things that everyone knows about Posadas is they love nuclear war Yes. They really do. Um, utterly convinced that atomic war is going to happen. Yeah. Um, the atomic war is going to provoke a true inferno on Earth. It's going to destroy immense human riches. An atomic war is inevitable. It will destroy half of, human, half of humanity. It's going to sh- destroy immense human riches. It is very possible. The atomic war is going to provoke a true inferno on Earth. But it will not impede communism. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's important to know that Posadas would be a great villain in a 90s action film. <laughs> he really would be, because he's like utterly convinced that nuclear war is inevitable, and this will it's it's gonna be because it would be because a nuclear war is a global war. Yep. Therefore, the old trot thing, entire like global revolution, everything will be perfect. Oh yeah, because you that's the that's the thing with uh like Trotskyism as it's mm. gone around over the years, is that they don't like any revolution that isn't the absolute perfect one. Mm-hmm. And so... The perfect yeah, one will involve nuclear. <laughs> so they end up transferring, like, onto weird things. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like little things. After destruction commences, the masses are going to emerge in all countries in a short time, in a few hours. 
Capitalism cannot defend itself in an atomic war except by putting itself in caves and attempting to destroy all that it can. The matters, in contrast, are going to come out. Well, have to come out, because it's the only way to survive. Defeating the enemy. The apparatus of capitalism, police, army, will not be able to resist. It will be necessary to organise the workers' power immediately. So, he's saying that in the event of a nuclear war, Mm -hmm. capitalists will kind of retreat to the bunkers, Mm -hmm. but the poor will have to come out and they'll have no choice but to accept communism. Yeah. But to do... Well, Well, and they'll win. To organise communism. They'll win because all the capitalists will be in their bunkers hiding. But, like, they'll... They'll be dead, though. No, there's there's an awful lot of his plans that involve a big question mark at an important point, and then just full <laughs> communism now. Um, very much like I imagine scene. Aaron Bastani's book will be. But <laughs> seen a lot of scene missing. Yeah, there's a lot of scene missings in in um, Pasadas's life. Um, most importantly, is like between sixty two and sixty nine. I think it's sixty nine. Um, Posadas starts becoming oh sixty eight. Posadas starts becoming quite into ufos ah now this is the yeah this is the other famous bit about him yeah. isn't it um and he wrote a really great i read it it isn't great <laughs> <laughs> flying saucers the process of matter and energy science the revolutionary and working class struggle and the socialist future of mankind finally now i've been waiting for fucking ages i've First been studying in 14 times <laughs> <laughs> i've been waiting for this for years i was a teenage conspiracy theorist I love that stuff. Communism's very good. It's the only future. Bit dry though, isn't it? Eh? <laughs> it's a bit dry. Bit dry. Where's Where's the posters of the um, the grey alien saying "Take me to your dealer"? <laughs> That's what I need. Um, where's my goddamn multicolored dashiki? <laughs> so where's my third eye? Do you believe in aliens? I don't know if it's something you can believe in. They're not there yet. That's like I, 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 it's I think, literally impossible to answer. I think I believe in aliens. Really, it's probably, like, but because maybe just not. mathematically, they're bound to be there hmm. somewhere. They're, they're not near us. I don't think they're like yeah. here. I don't think it's like X Files. I think it's important to say that like aliens within human society fulfill a certain role similar to like angels. Yeah. Or, or or saints or, yeah. or or spirits or something like that. Mm-hmm. They fulfill they they fill that exact same yeah. sociological role. Yeah, yeah. But um, so in that way they do exist. But you know, <laughs> yeah. There's um this this pamphlet he wrote this leaflet he wrote this leaflet. It's a, it's a pamphlet. It's, ne- it's never just a leaflet. Um, it's never just a pamphlet. He talks a lot about science and about it being constrained by capitalism, which is true. Yeah. Um. And talks about how much further we can go. Okay. He does like he makes a couple of little jumps. Mm. Um, like you know how like aliens are bound to exist. Like mm. like I just said, mathematically they're bound to. Yeah. Um, so they're bound to come here eventually. Mathematically, again, probably yeah. at some point. Um, he does make then the f- first of um, a number of assumptions. Yeah. First off, that they're good. Yeah. And next off, that they're bound to be communists. Well, isn't isn't it the case that like so? It's kind of like a like the Marxian uh, idea of historical determinism. Mm. It's like it's taken to extremes, isn't mm-hmm. it? So like, if Marxism is a science, which mm-hmm. you know it is, it's a category of social science, mm-hmm. um, and communism itself is like a more advanced version within that. Mm. Um, then it stands to reason that like extraterrestrials, if they were more advanced technologically, they would also have more advanced so- like societal technologies. So they would have communism. Mm-hmm. That kind yeah. of, yeah. I kind of, it, it hangs together. 
not, Ish, that's the thing not that... in an any any kind of re- like recognizable human way. Yeah, there's an awful lot of it which, if he was explaining it in the pub, you'd put your hand up and then you'd get a lot of no, no, wait, bear with me. Yeah. Um, he does make some other leaps, like about them, like you know, first they're good, they're good, and they're going to help us, and they're definitely communist. Um, they're also immortal. Um, okay. Yeah. Why not? Because humans live for about a hundred years. Elephants live for about two hundred and fifty years. Mm-hmm. What? No, they don't. But therefore, <laughs> yeah. But therefore, aliens must be immortal. No. Yeah. yeah. I know. No, I, I get it. I get it now. I get now it. Now that yeah. you said yeah a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what you're saying, but you're saying it with such force. <laughs> um, but basically, it's like capitalism has limits mm-hmm. and constraints. And if you didn't have capitalism, then science would be all blue pie in the sky stuff. Yeah. And therefore, that's what these aliens are Again, be. it's an important part of Marxism that, like, yeah, you, as you said, like, capitalism constrains science. Mm. But also it is the development of uh, productive capacities through technology. Like, a lot of people talk about how, like, Marx doesn't appreciate, like, doesn't appreciate the leaps of bourgeois society. Mm. And it's like, he totally does. He just mm. thinks it can only be taken up to a certain point. Mm. And I suppose if you were to go to expand it further, that's actually kind of... That's, uh, it's a bit bastani, but yeah, okay. Yeah, right, as far as it goes, yeah. Yeah, um, it's there's an incredible. Hmm. There's a laziness to it. Well, not laziness because I don't think Basadas was lazy. Um, waiting for someone else to do it. Yeah. Which yeah. it's a, which is actually a bit like bastani, like fully automatic luxury comedy. It will just happen. It's a it's a Deus Ex Machina for yeah. the revolution. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, and it's like that's the jump he's made. Um, the aliens will do this, and like the things like the nuclear war will attract them. They were, yeah, they were always, they were always searching for like who because they're focused on who the true revolution is going to mm. come from. Um, they transfer obviously at first, it is you know the workers, yeah, and it's not you know Russia, they say, has too many like uh agricultural workers, too many peasants, yeah, and so certain things have to be like uh scaled back for communism to work. You have to develop a, a better society first, yeah, because there's the blueprint to the perfect revolution, mm. but then like later on, like you say, like in the 60s and things, they focus on various different people, like you focus on the miners as like the ideal proletarians, mm. or you focus on students mm. as the most radical. That's a very popular one yeah. among uh, among Trotskyists. But yeah, you're always looking for... You are looking for the right chemical equation yeah. that will, that will solve do it. the revolution. You're yeah. looking for the catalyst all the time. Yeah. Which is a, yeah, a very odd thing. Um, he like... It's like... The thing is, though, that you can never... I can't ever get... It's the nuclear war stuff. Yeah. And I get it. It's like... I am like... We're too young to remember... To have been part of that... Like, we're all going to die of nuclear war. I don't know. I do remember feeling like that when I was younger. I remember a little bit. Was, like, we were born in, what, 84, right? Yeah, but, like, um, my, my in-laws, like, especially my mother-in-law, like, properly had that. Mm. Like, she still has a little bit of it now. Like the nuclear terror. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I can see why there's two ways of going. Like, this should never happen. Like, she was in C&D. You know, this should never happen, yeah, never yeah, happen. Yeah. Or it's going to happen and we should just roll with it. And I was thinking about it with regards to our attitudes towards Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm going to be a bit facetious say like it's like a global nuclear war yeah. but you know it's an- we've spent weeks talking about how it's such a technical question and not a moral one and now it's like nah fuck it it's more that it's um, it's it's a thing that we have absolutely no control over 
that we have to go with one way or the other, yeah. the idea of a no deal. It, we certainly, we end up feeling a similar way to nuclear war because it seems so far away and we have so little input in it. You yeah, know, exactly. What you mean. That's what I mean. Um, and so I can kind of get like, so in a way, Posadas is being, Posadas is kind of leaning into it like a lot of Lexiters that I know who would not have yes. wanted to agitate for to leave the EU now. Like I wouldn't have. I, w- I don't particularly like the EU. If we're going to leave it, I want to leave it on my terms though yeah, yeah. and try and work out how to best land when there is an element all of, this of that falls with apart. kind of like gung honus and i actually don't think like most of the prominent lexiters that i've like kind of read or or, or been exposed to like mm. uh, grace blakely mm-hmm. is a lexiter and obviously costas labovitsas is mm. the is the the really he's the most gung-ho of them yeah um for understandable reasons but mm. even he is like no deal doesn't have to be that bad if we actually prepare for it, yeah. But of course, that's the big, that's the big thing, isn't mm. it? And I suppose nuclear war, you, you can't really say that about nuclear war. Well, you like, start amassing beans, <clears throat> but um, yeah. no, it's just it's just that idea of like you can look at it in two ways. Either you can be like joining C and D to try and stop it, like mm. try and be like go full fubby to it, yeah. Or you can go, it's going to happen. I need to land properly, yeah. And by land properly, I mean start releasing pamphlets about how aliens are going to come and save us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he like quite vocally tried to stop any test ban treaties <laughs> because he was. It wasn't. This is why he'd be a great villain in a nineties action film. because yeah. he wasn't like it, it. It got to a point where he wasn't. It's going to happen. Where he was actively agitating for it. I hate that tendency. Like. It's why I've never had a lot of sympathy for accelerationism. Mm. Accelerationism got well big. Um, there was a like a reader put out a few mm. years ago, wasn't there? About 2011, when everything was starting to go to shit with austerity and everything. Yeah. And the left was starting to find a certain amount of purchase among like students and, and mm. people like that. Um, with the you know the the uh, student protests and and uh, UK Uncut and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I never had a lot of truck with it because it's like you have. N- Okay, I'm not talking to about the students to this. I am talking about to acceleration in, accelerationism in general. Mm. You have no idea how masochistic mm-hmm. and how much working workers can bear. Yeah. Like, if you look at somewhere like India, which on the one hand is, you know, home of the largest communist insurgency on the planet, mm-hmm. but at the same time has poverty the likes of which the planet has never seen. Um People can put up with a lot of deprivation yeah. before they properly crack. And you know what? When they're putting up with deprivation, they're a lot less likely to uh, come out and actually, you know, say, resist yeah. and arm themselves. Read your pamphlet. You know, it's not... A, if your end game is, and then the people will be so poor they'll rise up, mm. is is bollocks. And I know people always like talk about um, 1914, uh, 1917... Mm. And it's like, well, the Bolsheviks were a lot more organised. They'd been agitating it for ages. And Russia had, within a few years, been reduced to the level of like a... like Russia at that point was like Somalia, mm. you know? Yes. But the difference is Somalia has been like that for quite a while, for mm. a matter of years. People have been born into it and, 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 mm. and died in it. And Russia had slid into it in a very, very short period of time. So there were people who remembered how things can be yeah. there's a there's a whole complex load of human yeah. human relations to it but suffice it to say yeah poor people don't necessarily just automatically, ri- automatically rise up and if you're relying on that yeah it's not a good thing to rely you're on. kind of a chump 
Yeah. Well, no, it is. It's as it's as worthless as relying on aliens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Except it, um, it involves a lot more human suffering. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that is literally why I voted to remain. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't want. I I couldn't have. I didn't want any. I don't didn't like the idea of yeah. there being any suffering. Sure. But um. Okay. So. One of the things with Posadists and what happened is okay. So Posadas, very paranoid man. Mm-hmm. And you know he's getting into the alien stuff. Mm-hmm. He gets progressively more and more paranoid, more and more nuclear war-y and more um, alieny, and expelling a lot of people, dwindling membership for years and years yeah. and years. But does that thing that a lot of like trot groups do, which is somehow manage to survive. Like there's like a core of people at the center of it who yeah. just keep doing it. Like yeah? in this country, I think the last issue of their paper was in two thousand. Oh wow. Yeah, because he d- he was died in the early eighties, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, that was years yeah. after his death. When did he die? Uh, he died in like eighty two or eighty three, I think. Uh, but he's got he's got various people who've taken up the mantle one, yeah. over the years. Yeah, but um, yeah, there was a the Revolutionary Workers Party, which was based in Birmingham. Nice, um, because of course, was, yeah, that was the Posadism. That was the Posadist the Posadist tendency. Yeah, yeah, that and um, their their paper red flag, which continued up until two thousand. Wow. Um, because it's amazing how like they do manage to limp on. Like, like um, the estimates of how many members of the SWP are left. It's not many. Yeah, how many? Because they're the, like, obviously I, the most the largest trot yeah, group. They in, lost a lot. In the country. They lost a lot when the Comrade Delta stuff happened. But yeah, because because at one point around the um, like yeah, like two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, mm. um, they had like several thousand members. I think. Mm. Yeah, because they they were ones who recruited mainly off universities. They still do things like that. They still yeah. do. It's disgusting. Yeah, they're, they're disgusting. And they, you know, you see them at every practice. You know, they're handing out this. So they they give the impression that there's more of them, but there's not. I always wonder, like, because if we wanted to like form a party, hmm. if we wanted to form a cadre, cadre, hmm. cadre, whatever, more of a, we could get like a, a you could probably get six. You get six people. <laughs> <laughs> then we could hashtag change politics. <laughs> Um, we need someone strong, girthy, Gapes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we Girl. could probably get Gapes before he retires. Um, if you no. if you have a couple of <laughs> no, he would not spike his milk. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we could probably get like enough people for a, tro- a, a Trotskyist cadre. But then, how do you fund it? Like, well, I think we just start like, putting out pamphlets. The the like the SWP must bank like bankrupt themselves going to B and Q to get all those sign. All that mm. signed wood. Um, I think you give. Or do they just? Are they just given? Member, members give them a lot of money. Yeah, because there were lots of really terrible stories about people working yeah. for free or for no money for yeah. for and years. giving them and giving money and that giving they money from to their them other for the cause. Yeah. Maybe they've just maybe they've got a, like a pine baron <laughs> as their benefactor. <laughs> That's been your theory for ages. It's like <laughs> Engels the fifth or something. <laughs> you know, Engels was the one who got marks yeah. out of a load of shit. Yeah, they think they've got like a, a, a helpful pipe baron. <laughs> yeah. But um they they carried on limping along Posadis. Yeah. For ages and ages. And like yeah, there's definitely one in Uruguay and there's a couple more. There's like an active party in Uruguay. Yeah. And there's there? a couple yeah. more in other parts of the world, but they're not really doing much. Well, and it's hard to discern ones who are seriously Posadis and ones who are taking the piss because it's kind of funny. <laughs> but um it was I kept on thinking about it with with like how I've been feeling with yeah. politics recently, and I get it though. I get the like when you found your little group, mm. like you see it with um like 
to a lesser to like in a in the bad ways like um Chris Williamson and like the kind of people that he hangs out with and mm-hmm. he won't stop hanging out with and um to a lesser extent Jeremy Corbyn sure and you look at the friends he's made over the years mm-hmm. that in the wor- in the bad times yeah that now he still hangs around they, hu- they huddle together during the long the long winter of the left yeah and so like that's why Waylon Bennett is doing gets to yeah. be at things and yeah. stuff like that and so I kind of see it um, but it's something that we should be very wary of like that tendency the tendency to kind of hunker down the card the card the, I mean basically the cadre tendency yeah. the reason they did it was because that was the experience that the Bolsheviks went through mm-hmm. when the Bolsheviks were alternately in prison or on the run across mm-hmm. Europe mm-hmm. They were organised in the way of a like an insurrectionary yeah. militant party. I think what a lot of them don't seem to get, who were mimicking it kind of in the in the seventies and eighties, um, was that they did that because they were on the run from not just like an undercover mm. police, although there were undercover police, obviously with the the czarist uh, mm. secret police. They were they did that because of open police. Mm. kind of suppression it was the only way that they could mm. that they could live mm. you know like stalin in his early years was robbing banks for the party yeah you know for the i think it must have been the social revolutionaries maybe they'd split off into the bolsheviks at that point but it doesn't apply to every single party you can't mm. 1917 again no because in order to weirdly enough in a link with posadas in order to 1917 again you would have to have a catastrophic like mm. nuclear war or something like that, or a, a long-term war. Yeah. And frankly, aside from the fact that in that same way is unlikely to happen in the year 2019, mm. we also can't wait for that. Mm. Yeah. We can't wait for another no. world war. No. Because there won't be anything left. No. It's, um, it's, I think there's a real problem with the hunkering down thing. Like The left is prone to it. All of them, all groups are, really. It's difficult. It is difficult. But, um, when when everyone else is going right and you go left, yeah, it it can be difficult. I mean, we got all lefty kind of. I'd say a bit probably before two thousand ten, mm. um, like where we seriously started like yeah. re- reading and thinking yeah. in that way. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know anyone other than you and a few like people who I meet who you know. Mm. I don't know anybody who is like that left wing because it's not something that comes up. Like when I'm at work or whatever, you know. Yeah, and that's why it's like, like, I weirdly it's like it's going to sound really stupid and kind of new technology. I think Twitter is generally a force for good for the left. I agree because of the being able to talk to people. I did actually. It was when we were talking about it, and uh, I I tweeted out like, "Yeah, it's still the hell site. Mm. It's still an attention grabbing, endlessly scrolly thing." Mm. But it, the weird thing is that you go on there and you see people who are willing to be kind of openly like radical and, and mm. think about things in in like marxist and socialist terms and not afraid to apply it to real things like the danger of when you're hunkering down especially with trotskyites as was always that you would rely on a few set texts mm. to tell you everything that you needed to know about what you were devoting your life to yeah and it's like Posadas, he has a lot of good ideas, like. But there are, the, the, but there's, there's the breaks, like. And if he wasn't on his own, 
This is the thing. Like, if he hadn't sectioned himself off and sectioned himself off and then started expelling people, (laughs) (laughs) um, then two things wouldn't have happened. Like, the thing about the, you know, science being constrained, that's all true. Mm -hmm. Other people have talked about it as Mm -hmm. well. Um, The idea of aliens is a bit out there, but, you know, go off. (laughs) Um, Go off, King. Yeah. Um, But the thing that's more worrying is the people that stayed for 40 years. Mm. In that, listening to the ramblings of an increasingly paranoid UFO man, <laughs> you f- you find it actually thinking about it. You find it a lot with the more, how do I put this delicately, the more obsessive uh, tanky Twitter. Mm. Now I follow a few people who probably would like it's from the old like something awful laissez faire days. Mm-hmm. I follow a few people whose sole reason to be on the internet is to be as Ultra, or to appear as ultra left as possible, mm-hmm. um, and the problem is they end up hunkering down so much that they end up being kind of right wing. Yeah, because they have just they've just isolated themselves to such an extent they're not interested in talking to people. They're interested in kind of condemning people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, there's um, with um, the problem as well is it's like it leads the the kind of me- that bunker mentality leads also to. Leads to Comrade Delta. Yeah, yeah. Like, the justification for how they dealt with that was, you can't talk to the state, they're coming for us. Yeah. Um, And that can't be allowed yeah. <laughs> anymore. Like, and on and generally on Twitter, like, the unaligned leftists are pretty good at calling stuff out, and in general seem to be quite good at then either shunning or trying, you know, well, not shunning. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're better at dealing with it. I've talked about it like before, like the the whole uh, the kind of way that people are trying to work their way around dealing with um, like rape culture mm. and and allegations of, of sexual assault and, and things mm. like that. We are all trying to kind of develop a new moral economy. Mm. We're trying to develop how when the criminal justice system obviously fails. Um, people who are sexually assaulted so often mm. and they can't rely on that and so an, an alternative kind of system of justice is sought and you're, you're we're trying to work out how that how that works mm. amongst groups of people who are who are online you know mm. we're all trying to work out how we deal with people when they cross a line or you know go mm. way way over yeah. the line and it's a slow process and it's it's imperfect, but it's well, good that so many people actually are thinking about this in a collective well, sense. I now. don't know where it's going to end up, but I think I the don't, fact I don't that know everyone... it's going to end anywhere. Like, well, no, the it, thing it is, just I think a, the fact that it's constantly talked about yes. is, yeah. is so good. Mm. Because the problem is you don't want an allegation being made in a dark room that's then being kept, only three people know about it, yeah. that allegation, and that's all it is. It's much better when everyone knows about allegations whether they're for for right or for wrong so people can make a decision about whether they want someone in a space yeah yes that's all good um and to take the power away from essentially paranoid old trots yeah who run who run the all the most successful left-wing groups yeah spiked online for instance yeah (laughs) it's so weird actually i was thinking about um like our episode on the yeah. the the living marxism mm. people and it is like it is a remarkable similarity in one sense that 
there's actually been, an, I think there was an article in New Socialist, mm. uh, Josie, I can't remember her second name, she's at Of The Sparrows on Twitter, I think. Okay. Um, she wrote a, a, an article about vitalism mm-hmm. and like how the idea that there's like this force outside of human relations, a magical force outside is, is kind of harmful when it comes yeah. to, it's a kind of fascist idea, basically. And there is a kind of similar idea that I think ran through living Marxism as well, is that the idea that because you're setting that revolution to be perfect, mm. you're looking for the the catalyst. Mm. And the catalyst is like it's a, it's a vital force. You're looking for you're constantly looking for the energy mm. in in any kind of revolutionary situation. Now, uh, living Marxism, the or the revolutionary communist party, yeah, they were looking for the the energy in the revolutionary process and what happened is it got so corrupted that they settled on like the march of progress in yeah. an abstract way and like bioscience in a more immediate way yeah and like absolute unrestrained libertarianism yeah and like Posadas is looking for the energy he's looking for like the the where what the catalyst is going to be for for revolution and mm. he looks at you know you know aliens but it that kind of thing always like sets them sets them kind of outside of of history mm. they're not a part of it because they're the vanguard because they're the vanguard party they're the cadre kind of set themselves aside standing above history looking for it and looking to fish out the catalyst that will get the whole like i say chemical reaction working yeah it's a very like abstract and a very um i don't know what the word is um like a like a, a an object oriented things turn into into chess pieces mm. for you to kind of rearrange on a board and that's yeah. why you end up getting some kind of very arrogant kind of yeah attitudes in these yeah yeah that's that's what I'm basically trying to say and like it can be a very it's it's just a hugely limiting tendency abandoning mm. like all your all your thought and all your agency to the thing that that you or some other leader mm. has decided is going to be the revolutionary factor. Mm. Um, but I do like I actually kind of like like it is kind of there's a utopian thing in Posadism as well mm. which is is quite nice yeah because um, I definitely like like communism and Marxism particularly often attacks utopianism yeah um, and in turn gets attacked for being utopian by mm. kind of like and hard-headed anti-communists and I definitely flip between that kind of like hard-headed secular Marxism like class Class war, you know, mm. class struggle, class analysis, mm. all that kind of stuff. That's that's where I am comfortable. It's been a good good rule of thumb. But I do kind of like, you know, it, it is good sometimes to get your head out of it and kind of think of the Star Trek future. Yeah. Like, it's why I can't really laugh off. This is going to make me sound stupid, but I can't really laugh off Bastani too much until I've actually seen yeah. what, see the book what, what he's written. Because, mm-hmm. like... There has to be that kind of recognition of an alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like I was, I was reading up. I was just reading one article about um, Posadism for for today, and the Wu Ming, the communist, the anonymous communist writing collective. Yeah. Um, they weren't writing about Posadism, but they were writing about um, some other. Uh, uh, they were writing about some other kind of Soviet, Soviet like cosmologist or, or something yeah. like that. Um, and they were saying, yeah, they this kind of like pseudo history, this kind of pseudo science. Mm. Yeah, it's not science, but it does kind of help to shake the belief that 
this is the only universe you can live in. There are no yeah. alternatives, you know, because we we approach capital in a kind of abstract way as Marxists. It's we we deal with people who we fucking hate. Yeah. We recognise people on the telly who we fucking hate. Yeah. But ultimately, the thing that rules our lives and all of humanity's life is this abstract, abstract social relation that mm. is that is capital. You mm. know. Um, like Marx uses the word alienation, mm-hmm. you know, it's from Latin meaning belonging to someone else, which mm. is, is you're isolated from your labor, you're alienated from the commodity. And the more something your labor becomes a commodity, the more alienated you, you feel. Yeah. And actually putting, putting that into perspective, like if workers relate to their, to their labor as an alien product, uh, an alien object after they've like collectively produced, produced it it's gone through so many stages of alienation and abstracting um if we're forced to think about extraterrestrials or ufos as like as existing and being real you're starting to prepare for how you yourself will accommodate it Mm. you're looking at alternatives it's good prep Mm. for fundamental change in and of itself Mm. obviously it's aliens yeah of course there are memes around it but (laughs) There is a tendency within that element of Posadism, which is like, yeah, okay, I can see that, especially in the the year of our Lord 2019, where yeah. it is yeah. it is feeling really, really dark at the moment. Yeah, the, not the, just the, cap- the capitalist realism thing of you know, yeah. it's easier to see the end of the world than the end of. I feel worse like, about it now. I, I don't feel worse about seeing the end, but I feel worse about the now mm-hmm. than I did in capitalist realist defining yeah. times in in 2013 yeah. or whatever it, it was feels... but the the i feel more confident about the ability of people who like i read and i talk to somewhat online and in real life i feel more confident about the ability to change it mm. you know yeah. it's not just you going this is wrong and just internalizing it and feeling wrong all the time yeah you know well, that's the thing. That's my main takeaway from all of it is. I think that Posadas would have done better with internet, and I. Or a lot, lot worse. There is that, <laughs> but more importantly, the people who followed him would have done better. I think. Yeah. I well, I think that the um DSWP part of the reason why it's got dwindling membership is because of the internet. And people like when you take yeah. away the mysticism, when you take away when you can when you can find solidarity through something other than a meeting. Yes, um, I think that that is a actual is actually good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I do think that should probably engage more. I don't because talk I think that, that's yeah. the thing. It's like it's in the last couple of weeks, month, or so. I have disengaged from a lot of things because I just found it too hard to deal with. Like. And like, then you have like, it feels like an enormous privilege to be able to dis- detangle yourself from politics, but I haven't been able to because you can't. Yeah. But it's like, it's like you've got so much. It, it bleeds into everything, and you've got yeah. so much stuff to do. Yeah. Um, you live a neoliberal life as well. Yeah. In in you know, admittedly, in the West, sorting out tuition, the loans for Lily's university. Yeah. Which is uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 it's designed in that way, but I don't know. We keep talking about it. We keep observing the cracks. Yeah. we keep you know talking. I hope everyone else talks out 
talks to other people as well. Like, yeah, but I was to say, like, I'm going to try and engage more. Talk to us. Proper, proper discussions. And, I like talking and stuff to people. Like that, I yeah. should talk to more people. Yeah. Because I need to get back on the message boards, mate. Fuck Twitter. <laughs> Fuck. Which message boards are we back, going on? Back in Game back facts. on back on the message boards. Uh, <laughs> Bell of Lost Souls. <laughs> the comments. The comments. Everybody gathers on the comment section under Bell of Lost Souls. The most popular Warhammer Forty Thousand website. Still? It is still there. Yeah. Um, we gather there every Tuesday and Thursday <laughs> to talk about communism and the emperor. Well, that's the thing. Like with this fucking. Like the aliens will be the aliens exist. There's people in space. They're good, and it's like that's the thing that the, the first hurdle for me is like, but what if they're elder? <laughs> <laughs> they are good. <laughs> like it'd be good if they're orcs. <laughs> Would it though? I'll just paint myself green. I'll be like a digger. <laughs> God, that's a deep cut. It is. <laughs> but yeah. But um, yeah, that's generally a thing that you know. It's 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 a weird historical thing that won't happen again. I don't think. There's no. It's it's weird that that's now coded with the coming of the alt right and Trump. A lot of the coding of that kind of stuff Ooh. swings way more right. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about it before. Like we had like we both had formative experiences mm. with like the Robert Anton Wilson oh, yeah. school of like hippie libertarianism. Yeah. Never fully engaged with it, but it was definitely no. very influential. Oh, definitely like and Discordian. You it. think you think about that now and where that's gone yeah. and where where it would be in the era of Trump and uh like the um, this right alt right ascendancy. What? Yeah, it would be fucking terrifying. Yeah, I worry like where basically I worry where I'd be without like you and the rest of my friends and mm. weirdly Twitter that I, I could see yeah. me you know tattooing a QAnon symbol on my head. <laughs> you know that 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 lording Twitter has come at exactly the wrong time yeah. in the lefty academic cycle because yeah. I think. Richard Seymour just unveiled his new book, and I think it's going to be a t- fully attacking Twitter as a yeah, medium. I don't, I don't, I don't, well, no, the medium's bad, but there's people on there that's, that are, not, yeah, that are yeah, nice yeah. to see. Um, and Richard Seymour's, a t- his, you know, he's oh. such a downer. <laughs> I love. Yeah. No, he, no, he is a bad. huge he's, fucking downer. That's all he is. He talks yeah. about climate change, and it's like, nope, I can't read this. There was no. a there was a, a podcast he was on, and uh, it, they were just going through Brexit and stuff, and uh, he started on uh, climate change, hmm. and it's like, nope. Switching that off because I can't, I cannot deal with that. That's mm. my disengagement mm. level, and again, that's that's a privilege. Mm. But I'm hoping that whatever else I do in mm. life and in politics generally kind of makes up for the fact <laughs> that I just can't focus can't on. Deal with that. I can't focus on it too hard. It's like looking mm. into the sun. Ironically, mm. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I just got. I was just reading a lot about Passad because Passadas because when I disengage from politics. I go deep into things like cryptozoology and magic, magic <laughs> and aliens, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got no problem with that. I've got. I'm like I said, I'm two months into the Abramalin. Having you in the house has fucked it up. But I'm sure nothing will go wrong for me. Like it went wrong for Crowley. <laughs> His life was fine. I just like the way that you're 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 in a in, Mar- in a Marxist sense. You are either advancing to incredibly advanced UFO communism <laughs> or regressing to primitive feudalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, look, I just think okay, maybe I'll do a GoFundMe to get the money together so I could do the Abramalian ritual to find a guard to see my guardian angel and ask them how to solve Brexit. <laughs> 
I'm afraid Theresa May has already tried it. <laughs> That's where she went, she went on that walking holiday. Who do you... Because, um, yeah, she, um, a dark song set in Wales. She did go on a walking holiday in Wales. Then she came back and called the election. Oh, shit. Fuck. Her guardian angel Jesus. was the ghost of um, Tony Benn and tricked her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so that's us for this week. Yeah. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDC ATW underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamot. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my